good to be with you this morning. I have a message from First Peter chapter five. This is probably the last message I will share from First Peter. I'm not going all the way through the chapter here; we'll just do the first seven verses. And a, a major topic of this uh, sermon, of this passage, I think, is our attitude. Attitude of elders in their service, and attitude for all of us. <clears throat> when I think about <clears throat> the word attitude, I often remember an incident that happened about 25 years ago. I was over, uh, we were having boys' camp mathematics, and we were playing football. And I didn't want to play for some reason, for whatever reason. And um, as usual, there was a, a young man from the church helping out, you know, kind of uh, steering things and watching over us. And he was uh, our quarterback, <coughs> as it turned out, kind of the captain of the team. And he wanted us to run a particular play in which, now one of my, my, um, hang-ups, I think, with the game at the time, but I just didn't understand it very well. But he wanted us to run a play where he was going to gonna take the snap and then hand it off to me, and I was going to run around and try to dodge the line and make, it, make this to be a running play. <clears throat> and I didn't want to do it, and I remember complaining about it quite a bit, but he kind of insisted, and I gave in, and ran, we ran the play, I took the handoff. And I took off and immediately ran straight into Sonny, who tackled me. And uh, never forgave him for that. And, and <clears throat> so there was really no gain on the play, and we went back to our huddle. And I remember telling him, see, it didn't work. I told you it wasn't going to work. It didn't work. <clears throat> and he said, well, I, I think you have a bad attitude. And... Um, I was never, I've never been one to have a quick response, and, and as a 12 or 13 year old, I didn't. Then either I said, um, kind of embarrassing, I said, well, I can't help that. And he said, yes, you can. And he was right. And I always remember that. I remember there were two things that, that um, stood out to me about that little event. One was that. My attitude does affect the way I serve, and also affects the rest of the team. Uh, and I'm suspicious now, looking back on it, he picked me to, to do that because he probably thought, kind of sensed I was a little bit grudging about the whole thing, and, and wanted to give me a chance to benefit, you know, and, and improve my attitude. <clears throat> so that was one thing. It it. Uh, Attitude affects me and others. And the other thing is that I am responsible. I, I have a lot of responsibility for my attitude. So, saying I can't help that uh, was wrong. Still, I had a bad attitude, and, and it helped teach me a lesson. So, in this section of First Peter, um, so the first four verses are about elders. And we'll talk about what attitude elders should have in service. Ninety-eight percent of you are not elders this morning, but I think you're going to see that there's a lot of uh, 
teaching here that, that can apply to principles that apply to everyone who has responsibility in the church. Let me go ahead and read these verses and we'll talk about them. And then we'll move on and talk about a couple attitudes that the whole congregation needs to have. So, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus being the virgin. <clears throat> the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am also a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. <clears throat> now, one of the things that's going on with my sermon notes this morning is I'm not able to get the staple out of them, which I always do. So I'm going to be ripping these pages off as I get through each one. So that's not distracting. So here's what's going on in these pages. <clears throat> I'm sorry, verses. Um, Peter first reminds them that he is qualified to exhort them. He says, I am a fellow elder. So I, I, I know what you're going through, whatever frustration you're experiencing. He says, I am a witness for, of the sufferings of Christ. I've experienced firsthand the example and teachings of Jesus, the chief shepherd. He also says, I'm a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. I have the same eternal hope that you have. So he's qualified to, to give them some admonition. And then he gives these, these three statements. We'll look at each of them here in a minute. <clears throat> but in each of these, he says, I don't want you to do this, but I want you to do that. And then he closes these first four verses by, by reminding them of the day of reckoning. When the chief shepherd appears, when he appears, not if he appears, that is a very important concept. But remember, it's a when and not an if. And then, and, and he also reminds us that elders are not chiefs. They are under the chief shepherd. So as we go through these, we go through these uh, three commands here. And for each of these, I want us to look at the attitude an elder must have and the attitude an elder must have. I'm sorry, the attitude an elder must not have, and the attitude he must have. So, first, Peter says, not by compulsion, but willingly. So, the wrong attitude here is a grudging attitude. Elders, leaders, should not be serving because they have to. Not just doing the job because of the consequences of not doing it, not studying for a sermon just because of the potential for being criticized for wasting everybody's silence in the morning. That's a grudging attitude. Now, why is a grudging attitude a problem? In a recent verse from Ephesians 6 and then Colossians 3, and by the way, I could use a cup of water. Somebody could arrange that. It would be great. So in Ephesians 6, <clears throat> verse 5, where I'm sorry, it says, Bond servants, be obedient to those 
who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord, and not to men. Knowing that uh, whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord. Okay. Then over in Colossians chapter 3, again, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So, why is a grudging attitude, why is grudging service a problem? I've got three reasons why it's a problem. Thank you, Junior, for your willingness. So, the, the first problem is that it is usually not unto the Lord. Grudging service is usually not unto the Lord. These verses uh, teach us that, that pretty much anything we should do and, and maybe don't want to do can be done as unto the Lord. Should be done as unto the Lord. So certainly this applies to elders in the church, and that is, that is you know, what's really being stressed here. But it can also, I think, apply to serving uh, in your home, um, serving at, at your workplace. I think this willing kind of service uh, unto the Lord can happen everywhere. I asked someone who works at Long Island Lumber, what is one of the least enjoyable jobs there? And he, and he, he talked about this thing called Friday cleanup. And uh, so, which apparently involves shoveling a lot of sawdust and maybe getting it down your back. I'm not sure if that part is required or not. But it is apparently not a very pleasant job. But even that one can be done as unto the Lord. And probably each of us in our, in our workplace or at home can think of a job that we really do not enjoy doing. But it can be done as unto the Lord. Uh, if our service is grudging, we're, we're not seeing it as an opportunity to serve God, but probably we're looking at it more as an opportunity to avoid trouble. And so, so that's the first problem with grudging service, with a grudging attitude. It's, it's not unto the Lord, it's more unto saving my skin. The second problem with grudging service is that it's not wholehearted. The verses I, I just read here from Ephesians and Colossians command us to serve from the heart, and grudging service just isn't wholehearted. And it won't be as good if it's not wholehearted. And the third problem with grudging service is that it is not cheerful giving. Our service is one way in which we give to the Lord. And so this verse from 2 Corinthians 9, which I know is talking about material giving, but I think also applies to giving through service 
It says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves the cheerful giver. Uh, so, I, yeah, I don't think uh, serving with a grudging attitude is cheerful giving. And I believe it can, in this way, I believe it can be self perpetuating. You know, as we serve grudgingly and so sparingly, then we also reap sparingly and, and miss out on the rewards of service. So, Attitude, the first attitude that we, the right attitude we ought to have is a willing attitude. Elders should have a willing attitude when it comes to service. They see this as an opportunity to make a meaningful contribution to the kingdom. Um, they are glad to do this for the chief shepherd who gave his life for us and their flock. And when it is done out of love in, instead of duty, and then we focus on doing the most we can and not the least we can. Here's some application thoughts on this first attitude of willingness. And again, I think this teaching applies to all of us and in our different opportunities we have to serve God. Um, so I think one way we apply this is just to be aware of when we have a a grudging attitude, and, and 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 don't just kind of take it for granted and assume it's okay. I think, you know, it, it, it can come so naturally that we assume it's, we can kind of take it for granted. And we shouldn't do that. Maybe a good homework assignment for all of us, including me, would be on the way home from church. Or something like that. When you think about what is what is something that um, a service I have to do for the church or at work, or what is one of my least favorite assignments? And uh, is there a way for me? And am I grudging about it? And is there a way for me to turn that attitude around and, and make it a willing attitude? I talk to God about it, ask for His help in that. And maybe even talk to someone else. Sometimes talking and telling Colleen that I have a bad attitude about something is just helpful. You know, you can make it a prayer request. Um, you, you would want to be careful not to talk to someone who would just be so sympathetic that you feel like you're justified in your bad attitude. Um, another thing in, in working towards a willing attitude, I believe, has to do with the resolve of our service and not becoming too result-focused. I think that's possible. That we get a little bit too focused on um, the result. In, in, the, in a little football story, I was, I was too focused on the potential for failure and and sense for me looking bad. And it was really, it was, in that situation, it was more important for me to just do my best. A couple of years ago, one of our church members was in the hospital. I decided to pay him a visit on the way home from work. 
And as far as I know, I, I think my heart was in the right place. I think I had good motives for, for this. Um, I think I had a willing attitude. But it didn't work out the way I expected. First, when I got there, the parking situation was terrible and I was parked very far away from the entrance, which I should have been used to because of working at Liberty. But when I finally got inside and, and found the room where he was where he was staying, um, here he was asleep and very peacefully slumbering. And the person who was with him was also slumbering. And I just, you know, I stood there just in case it, you know, they roused or something for a little bit. But they didn't, and, and I just didn't have the heart to, you know, knock on the door or something and get and wake him up and say, hello, it's your friendly pastor. They're waking you up from your the nap, the rest you probably need. So I didn't. I, I just kind of gave up and, and went out. But on the way out, then I, I got angled up and took the wrong exit and came out of a part of uh, an, an exit of the hospital that actually took me farther away from where I needed to be. On the way back to the car, it just started dumping rain, just pouring. And I got totally drenched. I mean, you could have thrown me in a pool and pulled me out, and I looked exactly the same. And it was really, it was really very fun. And, and I laughed at myself on the way back to the car. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes we, we go into something, we, we have the, the right motives, you know, and it just does not work out the way we expected. And you know what? Sometimes that's okay. I don't know exactly what God was trying to tell me through that experience. Maybe it was just that, that sometimes things don't work out the way you expect, but just let me be either results with God. Um, I, I think any time we serve God from the heart, God honors that, regardless of the outcome. And I think it's probably also true that any time we don't serve God from the heart, He doesn't, regardless of the outcome. Uh, okay, one more comment about having a willing attitude. We can help each other in this. We can help each other have a willing attitude by thanking them for their service, thanking them for serving God, uh, cooperating with what they're trying to do. So the second admonition to Percy Telling Elders serve willingly, not grudgingly, and now he tells them not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So, similar to the first one, again, there's a willingness problem. In the first pitfall, it was, I'll do it if I have to, and then the second one, it's, I'll do it if I can find a way to make it pay me. And this is a dishonest or greedy attitude. It's, it's a wrong attitude. What does Peter mean by a dishonest, by dishonest gain? Uh, my guess is he's mainly referring to elders misusing their role for material or financial advantage. Now we know the New Testament supports the idea of ministers receiving some financial support. Uh, the the problem is, I think the problem Peter has here is when that becomes a a driving factor, like a, a main motivation. That's, that's a big problem. 
So it might be easy to conclude that in our Anabaptist circles, if we don't take away that salary taxes, we don't really struggle with this one. But I don't think financial gain is the only sort of dishonest gain that we can struggle with and fall into. I read this book lately called The Imperfect Pastor. It was quite challenging. But one of the things he, he talked about with regard to these verses is you know, there's a temptation uh, to use our work, our opportunities to to gain sinfully from the people we're supposed to be serving. He talks about how holding a cup so that our member with cerebral palsy can drink from its straw can turn into a dark temptation to be seen by others for the way we care for people. So that is another way in which we can fall into a dishonest or greedy attitude. So the right attitude we need to have is a sincere one. Uh, if someone is sincerely eager to do something, they actually want to do it, then the, the short-term benefits are, are less of a focus. They are not a driving motivation. Uh, when we have a sincere desire to serve the flock and to serve God, we, we will do things for the flock that we wouldn't otherwise do if we were focused on ourselves. In the classic book, Spiritual Leadership, the author quotes J.A. Gallup, who was a prominent speaker at the turn of the century, um, 19th to 20th. This man said, A preacher may dress and smooth his message to cork the public spheres, and laborers in other spheres may bid for prominence or imposing print for grateful recognition. All this unfits us for our task. It destroys perception of the needs and perils of the people. It destroys perception, right? So that really should uh, struck me. But if there's a way in which this applies to all of us and our opportunities to serve, we, we can serve sincerely or have mixed motives. So here's some questions for thought. Uh, do I believe that I have the potential for serving for dishonest gain? Am I doing things I would not do if others didn't find out about it? Am I doing this in a way that makes me look better than is really necessary? Uh, am I Am I dropping unnecessary clues that would help people find out about my good deeds? That can maybe help us uh, detect some dishonest motives. So not for dishonest gain, not a, not a dishonest or self-seeking attitude, but a sincere one is what elders and all of us must have. And then the third one, as he says, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So as being lords is translated domineering, in some translations like the ESV, Peter is warning leaders 
against a lordly, kind of a grand sort of attitude, and he's calling them to a lowly one. And, and so the problem with uh, what's wrong about the grand or lordly attitude is, is that it can cause leaders to think they have the best ideas, and we shouldn't be thinking, you know, as the heavens are higher than the earth in comparison to our thoughts and other people's thoughts. Uh, we shouldn't be thinking, you know, it's more important for you to hear me than for me to hear you. Uh, we shouldn't be thinking that we do all of the important work, and we shouldn't be thinking that we're not accountable to the church and not beyond simple behavior or constructive criticism. That's, that, that's some of the fruits of a lordly kind of attitude. And the problem with it is it doesn't build good relationships, doesn't build trust, puts our needs and wants over the needs and wants of others, and most importantly, it doesn't point people to Jesus. So the right attitude here is what I call a lowly one. And in this passage, instead of acting like Lord, Peter says leaders need to be examples. And I really appreciate uh, that, that invitation to, to be an example. But I, I think that, I think it challenges us to, to not, um, but, well, for one thing, to realize there's no service that is too lowly for us to be involved in. Jesus washed Peter's feet. I wonder if Peter, maybe you're thinking of that when you wrote this in verses. Be an example. There's no service too low for us. Um, it, it, it means leaders should be authentic and practice what they preach. It means leaders should be accessible. People can observe how they deal with struggles, and they should be a visible testimony to the grace of God. Peter is not saying be examples instead of exercising oversight. He's saying that as you exercise oversight, be an example yourself. Be authentic. Some of the things uh, that we need to keep in mind as leaders is, uh, is um, this, for example, this, this word entrusted. We have been entrusted the, uh, the plot, if you will. It, it belongs to Jesus and not to the church leaders. Uh, we will have to give an account for it, for this, this thing that the responsibility has been given to us. Uh, another thing that's important for elders to remember is we are under shepherds. I said that. You know, we're not we're not chiefs. We're underlings, and we report to the chief shepherd. We will report to him. And another thing for all of us to remember is that Jesus said the way to greatness is not by pursuing greatness; it's by Pursuing lowly service. So, some application questions for this one is: 
For example, is my position more important to me than transparency and honesty? Um, do I value the input of those I have authority over? And are their needs and concerns important? Those are good things for me to think about. And probably all of us who have some responsibility, uh, husbands, fathers, school teachers, employers. So those are the three things, especially for elders, but I think a lot of applications for all of us. To be willing to be um, sincere and to be lowly and examples. So now let's go on to the second part of this. Um, these verses here, which is verses 5 through 7. We talk about the attitudes the whole congregation must have. Verse 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So the, the uh, first attitude that applies to all the congregation is one of submission, a submissive attitude. Submit yourselves to your elders, yet all of you be submissive to one another. And he says, you younger, you younger people, Submit yourselves to your elders. Now, here in, in this context, uh, Peter is expecting elders, for the most part, to be older people. For the most part, he's expecting them to be older. And he expects non-elders, for the most part, to be younger people. Now, I just throw this little aside in here that just a uh, concern of mine. I, I do worry that sometimes, in our Anabaptist circles, that we make age more of a negative factor than it ought to be when it comes to nominating people, um, especially considering that the expectation is, for the most part, they will be older people. I, I just, I have a problem with not, um, Ordaining a 55 year old, not thinking of anybody, I don't even know who's 55. Not ordaining a 55 year old because, you know, we don't get 10 years of service out of him. I, I think that's a mistake. I don't, I don't think we should be looking at it that way. Um, but obviously, not everyone has to be old to be an elder, Timothy wasn't. But I mean, that is just a sidebar. Uh, so, but he is expecting elders for the most part to be older. He expects non-elders for the most part to be younger. And so, when he says younger here, he may be especially zeroing in on the younger crowd and saying, "You young guys, submit," because you know when you're younger, maybe it's a little harder. Maybe there's a tendency for younger people, as in general, to struggle with submission a little more. Um, but you could also be just saying, you non-elders. You know, you may just be saying the rest of you, you non-elders. Some, some study notes and so on, trying to go that direction, so I'd be just saying non-elders, submissive elders. I, I don't really know which way I think it applies to um, 
not, I mean, it obviously doesn't apply just to young people. And when he says elders in the context here, is overseers. So church members, yes, they need to have an attitude of submission to the leaders. It's going to be obviously very difficult for leaders to lead without this attitude. And the whole congregation is going to suffer. Um, it is possible for leaders, this reminds me of Mary, it is possible for leaders to behave in a way that makes it hard for the congregation to submit, and husbands to make it hard for wives. But on the other hand, it's also possible for the congregation to make it hard for uh, leaders to serve willingly and eagerly. Hebrews 13 would, would uh, link a lack of submission to elders who groan. And, and, and the author there says that would not be an advantage to the congregation. And then Peter says, um, so you young people or non-elders submit to your elders. All of you be submissive, be submissive to one another. There, there's some question as to whether that phrase there is, is um, the correct translation. It's unique to the New King James and King James Version. Um, but I, I do think that there, there is a general sense in which the whole congregation has to understand and apply submission. We all have to submit to someone. And even elders have to submit to brotherhood agreements and be willing to submit to correction and guidance. The functional church, talking about attitudes that make a church functional, and a church is not going to be functional without an attitude of submission. Now, if we think in terms of application, I'm a very concrete thinker, and, and I, my thoughts are concrete thoughts. And so when I think about submission and application, you know, I, one of the things I usually think of is church standards. And, um, and that's kind of a simple way to, to put this in concrete terms. Um, so maybe a question we could ask ourselves is, am I supportive of the agreements we've reached as a church? Am I supportive of our standards? And if I'm not, am I really submissive? I mean, it would seem like one way to measure how we're doing in this area. Is my attitude helping or hurting the rest of the team. Remember, this affects everybody, not just yourself. Okay, so submissive, we need to have a submissive attitude, and then we need to have a humble attitude. And Peter said to be clothed with humility. Now, this one with, this last one has two dimensions. Um, or maybe, maybe, Maybe these others do too, but especially this one has two dimensions toward each other and toward God. So, um, toward each other, because that's the first dimension. Be humble toward each other, be clothed with humility. Most translations will say something like this this is my idea. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Now, various commentators say this clothing here 
is referring to a uh, a garment that was actually part of a slave's uniform. It's kind of like an apron that you would tie on. So it may be talking about tying on your apron. In fact, the Good News Translation says, put on the apron of humility. Um, just see, we've got some visitors showing up here in Florida's that our service is starting at 11. Um, so this, this idea of clothing yourselves with humility, it talks about, it has this idea of putting on this apron of service. And clothing is something visible. So if we wear humility, people will see it, or, or should see it. Uh, it. It communicates something to people. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Now, um, so, so yeah, it is clothing and it's, it is observable and it speaks to people. Now, as for example, at Yoder's Farm, you guys sometimes wear staff t shirts. Something that says staff that makes you stand out, you're staff, and you're here to help people. Show them where the pumpkins are, the strawberries, and where they shouldn't be taking strawberries. Help them pay. And so that communicates something to people, you know. They, they're wearing this article of clothing or this insignia that tells them, you know, these people here are here to help you and um, help the customers out and so on. And in the same way, workers in the church need to have this apron of humility and that, that tells each other, you know, I'm, you are important to me and I'm willing to serve you and I care about you. Uh, on the, and, and, and trying to serve without this apron on isn't going to work very well. Uh, trying to serve with pride is not going to be effective. In fact, God will resist those efforts. God will oppose, will oppose those who are proud. What we need is the grace of God, the favor of God in our lives and in our efforts to serve each other and So that's the first dimension. This, humility, this humble attitude needs to be toward each other. Also, the second dimension of it is it needs to be toward God. Peter says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And I, I want you to appreciate how Peter says this all kind of in one breath. He says, Humble yourselves, casting your care upon Him. Like those two concepts are, are closely related. And I think they are. I think Peter is making an intentional connection there. So, what does humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God have to do with casting all your care on Him? And I think the, the concept that connects them is the idea of surrender. Because humility is what helps us surrender ourselves to God's will 
And then, and casting your cares upon God is also an act of surrender. You're giving up these cares and committing them to God. And pride uh, is an obstacle to this. Pride gets in the way of surrender. It says, you know, it's up to me to fix this. It's up to me. I've got to solve this. And also, I need to do it now, soon. You know, this needs to be taken care of. Whereas, this expression here includes the idea of waiting on God's time and being patient for God to work. Pride says also, this is something I am concerned about and should be concerned about. But the truth is, a proud person will have a lot of things he's concerned about but shouldn't be. He cares about things he shouldn't care about. Uh, I think one of the reasons young children are so carefree, and of course, there's the other side of the story too, but in general, the reason they're so carefree is because they are humble, naturally humble. And, um, and so, you know, you know, we need to learn from them. Not all of our anxieties are legitimate. A lot of them aren't. Humility puts us under the mighty hand of God. It's an act of surrender. And, and realizing that Almighty God cares for you and, and you are important to Him, it should be a source of satisfaction and peace. So this attitude of humility is really important for the flock to be functional. Uh, it, it helps us serve each other. It's that apron that equips us to serve each other. And then it also, in our humility to God, brings about a peaceful surrender that blesses the flock and and remove a lot of potential strife and conflict. So in conclusion, I, I think these are the five attitudes Peter's calling us to as a flock to be effective, to be functional. He says uh, we need to have a willing attitude about service. That's true for elders, but it applies to others too. <coughs> we need to have a sincere attitude and why we serve, especially for elders, but also for others. A lowly attitude in how we serve to be examples, not lording it over people. A submissive attitude toward elders and toward the church as a whole. And a humble attitude toward one another and before God. May God help us grow in these areas. God bless you.